0: Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain manufacturing and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the FinTV podcast. Today, I'm joined for part two of uh, our our FinTV podcast with Laura Cesare, who is a thought leader, founder of Supply Chain Insights, and essentially someone who knows a great deal about supply chain. I was fascinated by a conversation that we had uh, and the research that you really did uh, did about the supply chains to admire. I found it absolutely fantastic that there's nothing else like this, but I wanted to talk to you today about the supply chain profession, the supply chain leader, uh, you know, it's, it's not hyperbole, uh, or to say that we're living in a very complex time. How do you think you've seen the supply chain profession evolve over time?
1: It's a good question. Um, supply chain management, where we're looking at source make and deliver together was defined in 1982. And I am an old gal. So I entered the workforce in 1978 in manufacturing. At that point in time, there were no supply chain organizations. People didn't use the term. In fact, logistics never really talked to manufacturing, and some of that hasn't changed. But, um, you know, supply chain is really three decades, three and a half decades old. So it's relatively new. And in the beginning, it was very exciting. We dreamed of having a seat at the table of supply chains, you know, powering economic prosperity, ecological improvements for the planet, and really driving growth models. You know, we sat in conference rooms and we brainstormed what the supply chain of the future would look like. And then the 1990s, uh, we became very enthralled with optimization, you know, uh, put stuff in an engine, crank the engine, push stuff out. um, And we became excited about shiny objects. And we chased shiny objects and technologies and tried to automate the functions. So tried to automate manufacturing tried to automate transportation tried to automate procurement tried to automate delivery We weren't very successful in any of the functional automations with the exception of transportation I've got to say let's pat ourselves on the back and say you know transportation optimization for long mile delivery pooling routing we did a great job manufacturing optimization not so much. Uh, And procurement's still like a box of rocks, you know, there just aren't end-to-end procurement solutions. We became sidetracked with indirect procurement. And then we became very entranced with what's called the integrated end-to-end supply chain, which every time somebody says that I say, okay, tell me what that means. Uh, There's no real good definition, but what became Kind of the mantra was let's all implement erp and if we have a constant focus on erp and we have a common instance life should get better but that didn't wasn't the case right and so what happens is transactional systems are necessary but not sufficient to be able to drive supply chain excellence and so we became even more entranced in functional excellence we became less able to do planning and most organizations went backwards with the retirement and uh, turnover of baby boomers that implemented the initial systems for planning and so there wasn't good continuity and handoff of what this looked like from planner to planner And most of the systems evolved, and so 90% of the systems that I go and check today on demand planning are really given a worse answer than if they were doing nothing because they're not clear on what excellence looks like, forecast value add, coefficient of variation, mean absolute percent error, and looking at what are we doing to drive good outputs in the planning world. But in addition, we went from local supply chains, regional supply chains. My factory used to be able to basically service my locale and I would walk down and talk to the grocer about my products and my transportation lanes were pretty local and I knew all my carriers. You know, the movement from local to regional to multinational to global was not trivial. And as we did that, I think we didn't think enough about people systems. We didn't think enough about governance. We didn't think about how should we make decisions. Every organization and culture is very different. And we didn't give employees a blueprint for thinking about how should decisions be made. So for example, Unilever is a very regional model. Each of the Unilever countries are basically on their own. As a result, Unilever is almost like a science project with every country and every region trying something different, always churning. It's hard to get long-term stickiness of projects at Unilever. Jonathan Johnson is very controlled by finance, very regional, very local. And as a result, it's sort of like moving forward through mud because there's a lack of understanding of supply chain excellence past the transactional world company like Procter & Gamble, which is very mired in matrix organizations, looks at global planning and input for the regions. And I think they probably did the best job on governance. I actually had a friend by the name of Dick Clark who worked on this for six years. And I said to Dick, why does it take six years to define governance at Procter & Gamble? I mean, why is it so hard? to decide which employees should be giving what inputs and how do you decide what good forecasting is. Dick's no longer with us and I love Dick. He was just a great leader. But he said to me, Laura, you don't understand that when you have 450 planners at that point in time and 22,000 employees in the back office, that you can't just let them be, that you've got to define what is supply chain excellence and how do they work together? And you know, even concepts like you know, be a team player. Well, you know, a soccer team is really different than a swim team, very different than a baseball team. Define the principles in which we're going to work and the metrics and the reward system so that we are able to grow the right culture.
0: You know, I think how do you, how do you- I was going to say, sorry to interrupt you, but how do you do that when the grounds are shifting so much? Do you know what I mean? With complexity, with pandemics, with, uh, as you say, no blueprint really. Are, are we all just sort of making it up as we go along as best as we can? Is there a way out of this?
1: Well, I think the pandemic and the shifting sands are an opportunity for our leaders to get in there and do more of it, right? Because supply chain matters more. It's got the attention of the board. It's you know, is more malleable. Uh, People are more open to change. So I think it's a call for leadership to think about governance and metrics and reward systems and to be able to define supply chain excellence more holistically. If companies get too reactive, you know, focused on day to day and focused on shiny objects, they never get out of,
0: you know, just this death spiral. Well, I think you're, like, like you said, in the 90s, you know, focus on optimization and the integrated end-to-end supply chain, the shiny objects. Um, you know, you, you talked before in our previous podcast about how you said 96% of supply chains are stuck, and then you've got other people saying that the majority of digital transformation projects fail. Do you think that leadership uh, is at the heart of it? People uh, is at the heart of this, or is it a technological failure? What, what would you say is the reason for all of these problems
1: or all of these opportunities. It just depends upon how you look at it. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think the first thing is recognition of what is supply chain excellence. So when I say 96% of companies are stuck, they're stuck at the intersection of growth operating margin, inventory turns and return on invested capital. So I'm pushing a concept that says that companies need a balanced scorecard to drive higher levels of value as measured by public companies, market capitalization, or price to tangible book. Now, not everybody's going to agree with my definition. But what's clear to me from the research is that you need a balanced scorecard going over the functions. And you need to reward all employees on concepts that are cross-functional, like total cost. Maybe you don't like operating margin. Maybe you like gross margin. Maybe you like EVA. Maybe you like total cost. I really don't care, but it can't be manufacturing cost or transportation cost because functional costs throw the supply chain out of balance. And inventory matters. It's both a buffer and a waste. And so if you don't measure inventory turns, let's say you hide it in the cash to cash metric, then you won't manage waste and you won't improve inventory as a buffer. So getting those cross-functional metrics is extremely important. And being able to get out of these functional metrics like POV or purchase price variance or OEE, which is about manufacturing efficiency or transportation costs. Those are functional metrics. You gotta really pull it up a level And define supply chain excellence. The other thing is, lots of people are running around saying, let's all do a digital transformation like hair on fire. I'm like, what does digital mean? You know, I spent a year thinking about digital, and all of these consultants that talk to me about digital have such a bad definition. I define digital as rethinking the atoms and the electrons of the supply chain. Now the atoms could be recycled material, could be 3D printing, could be, do I need this product? Could it be a service, right? Rethinking product. Then, you know, the electrons are information and data. We are rich in data and poor on insights, and we haven't really architected data architectures to drive us insights. But what I see most people doing in digital transformation is basically saying, okay, I've got a new way to fund yesterday's projects. Let's just make ERP go faster. Let's just take our current processes and make them hands-free, but not really stepping back and saying, am I doing the right thing? And what should the atoms of the supply chain be? Where should and what should I deliver to customers and what are the electrons? How do I flow data? How do I answer the questions I don't know to ask? How do I design data architectures? And there's not enough of that thinking. I think we've got a lot of consultants that need to basically meet their goals of selling projects and that sends us down bad paths. Well,
0: sell, selling the hype, right? Selling the right. hype and the, you know, the, the buzzwords um let's talk about i mean you talk about the atoms and electrons let's talk about maybe the genetic makeup of a supply chain leader what what are the key attributes you think that you found in your in your insights and your research that make a, a good supply chain leader
1: it's a great question thank you for asking it maria you know i've i've worked with supply chain leaders for two decades and this is actually the subject of my book that i'm writing A great supply chain leader is naturally curious and humble Mm -hmm. and a good listener. Contrast that with the very big egos, you know, I know the answer, uh, best practices are tradition, right? Very different. The best supply chain leader sees the supply chain as a malleable process to be able to drive signals outside in to better serve customers. And is really good at influence management cross-functional so that you know, the f- friction between sales and marketing and new product launch is minimized and that cross-functional processes are really fostered. The great supply chain leaders don't accept the status quo. They don't rest on their laurels. They don't brag. They seldom wanna come to conferences and talk. The bad supply chain leaders, you know, just turn them on and man, they're everywhere at conferences and, you know, they always know the best way and, uh, you know, they're not as open to diversity. And I've done a lot of writing around diversity. And, you know, when I was in the 1970s, I was one of two women in my chemical engineering class. And I remember when the professor held my paper from, you know, statics and dynamics over my head and said, you know, you made a D on this test and therefore you shouldn't be an engineering, women shouldn't be an engineering. We've come a long way. I mean, everyone gets a D in statics and dynamics every now and then. You know, I'm excited to see more women in supply chain. I'm disappointed to not see more diversity. So today women are about 35% of supply chain, which we've come a long way from the one to 2%. But I go to a lot of women's events and my fear is that it becomes self-serving about women versus really driving diversity i wrote a linkedin post
0: that i saw it we, yeah which is why i asked these questions. was brilliant linkedin post uh, about <laughs> hiring a musician uh, yeah i loved it i mean basically what you're obviously you're going to tell us now but what what i really liked about it was that uh you know it's we're driven by i guess supply chain is dominated by white Caucasian men in a certain age, right? Uh, how are we going to meet the needs of this, uh, this type, this age that we live in right now, this age of disruption, when everyone thinks the same way, right? And you suggest hiring a musician. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on that.
1: You know, I push the envelope a little bit in the writing on this because I start with hiring a musician and then I tell a story about how I've watched people make bad decisions. And I think we're in a little bit of a group thinking supply chain and it's driven by men who are Caucasian, who are in their mid 40s and 50s, who congregate at golf clubs, get the pats on the back by the consultants, and really have the self-perpetuating myth that they're doing great things. Mm-hmm. Now. A musician understands that we don't need to integrate, we need to harmonize, synchronize, and orchestrate. And you don't have to tell a musician the definition of those terms. They understand tempo, they understand rhythms. Supply chain's all about managing tempo and rhythms. And when you're really good at supply chain, you're managing those rhythms in the market dynamic. And the market dynamic changes. And so instead of becoming reactive, just change the tempo. And instead of looking at master data and saying it's dirty, you say it's disparate, let's orchestrate it. And instead of looking at market issues, you say, how do I redesign the supply chain to be able to synchronize the signals to do better? So that was my article. I read another article that says that, we have too much stale white bread in the supply chain. I don't know if you read that one, but mm-hmm. it's all about, you know, when you go to the grocery store, the most boring loaf of bread is white bread, and the worst is stale white bread. You know, it's not even good for stuffing for Christmas. But yet, in supply chain, we have a lot of stale thinking. And we have a lot of groupthink driven by people that have been in the job a long time that have this privilege of being a senior white male, and they believe they know the answer. And that belief is a barrier for them to really embrace diversity. And I wrote that article when I had gone to a women's conference. And the women's conference was about really stimulating opportunities for women. And I looked around the room and there were no women of color. And there was no focus on how do we create diverse thinking? How do we create better outcomes? And I'm not interested in women for women. I'm interested in diversity to drive outcomes. And I'm interested in workplaces that really are enjoyable to work, principle based leadership. And so I think one of the mistakes that many women make is signing up to be in kind of this group think like, you know, they're white male Caucasians of, you know, insular thinking versus being open to outcomes and diverse thinking. And so that's why I write those articles on LinkedIn. just kind of stimulates some thinking.
0: And and do you think, I mean, we talked about this as well before, despite the, you know, terrible pandemic situation that we're currently living in right now and how difficult it it's been and all the negatives it brings. It's also brought some opportunities, the opportunities maybe to redesign the supply chain, to look at more sustainable business models, maybe look at the teams as well, the the way that uh, supply chain teams are built. You talk about diverse thinking, bringing people from outside uh, different industries, different backgrounds. I've seen studies as well of people bringing in people without university degrees, you know, that have worked in different types of uh environments. Do you think that, again, taking all the negative that COVID has brought us, that it also has brings us an opportunity here to do the, to, some big changes in the industry?
1: I am so upbeat about what can come out of our reflection from the COVID experience. I, yeah. I did an interview with 35 supply chain leaders, and one of them, a man who I dearly love, says, It has been a great equalizer for teams around the world because previously we would have people in corporate office in a conference room and we would have five or six people on the phone. But we really didn't listen to the people on the phone, the people in the regions, because the people in the conference room had the airtime, we could see them, but Zoom or Teams or whatever you're using is a great equalizer that Everybody turns on their camera and we're all equals. And, you know, it's a different di- dimension in uh, teamwork. Now, one of the gaps that I find is it's very hard to brainstorm, it's very hard to have those whiteboard sessions, but it's been a great
0: equalizer.
1: The other thing is, I think it has made us more human.
0: I was just going to say that it it humanizes us because we get to go into people's houses. We get to see their back, their dog, their little kid coming up to them, saying, "Mom, I want something to eat." It makes us. Uh, whereas before, we were going to conferences or maybe seeing each other in different environments where we were perhaps more formal and maybe that stagnated a little bit the thinking and and got us into a box. Do you think again this offers us an opportunity to, to think laterally, think differently?
1: Yeah, I think it allows us to be human, you know, you can see my kitchen, my dog may hop up on my lap, you know, you know, if somebody sees me speaking on stage, I'm not as human. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I think it allows us to do is to think about work-life balance, right? All the time we spend in the car, on the airplane, I used to travel 150 days a year in an airplane. I don't ever want to do that again. I don't, I don't want to ever have a long commute. I really like working in my garden. I really like working out every day. I'm probably healthier. And I think that regaining work-life balance is healthier for supply chain teams. And I think it's given us a chance to refresh ourselves, you know, like, you know, I'm learning how to play piano. I'm really bad at it, but I force myself to do it an hour a day. And, you know, I learned InDesign, which, you know, is a ferociously difficult uh, Adobe program. But it gives us some time that we can do some learning. So I think coming out of COVID-19, supply chains matter more than ever. It's a chance to build better, to get out of this groupthink to use new technologies and to embrace the human nature of supply chain professionals all around the world. And I'm hoping that great supply chain leaders rise up to be able to embrace diversity and drive supply chain excellence.
0: I think, I think it's, a, it's a really great opportunity for supply chain leaders, like you say, you know, for such a young profession, uh, 30 years ago, it wasn't really defined this way. To, to make such strides in, in such a short period of time. It's all for the taking now, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's all for the yeah. taking. People yeah. are talking about supply chain that perhaps didn't know what supply chain was back in the day. I mean, part of what was in your article, and, I, and I've said this before as well, when I was in high school, it's not like supply chain was even a profession that one was given uh, as an option. Your counselor didn't say, especially to women, uh, you should go into supply chain. So we've got a bit of an opportunity here to perhaps attract different types of people with different thinking into the fold, and that should hopefully uh, bring uh, different ideas. Laura, thank you so much for participating and for sharing your thoughts with us, and I'm excited too about what the profession's going to bring, so thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, and if anybody wants to have dialogue, look me up on LinkedIn. I answer all questions. Thank you, Maria. Have a good day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.